You might like that this morning. Any Taylor Swift fans? That went well with our, with our message title today as we continue the message we started last week called Trouble in Paradise. Go ahead, take out your Bibles, mobile devices, turn to Genesis chapter 3. This is going to be part 2 of the message we began last week. As you're doing that, our host team's coming around. If you need a Bible or a pen or outline, just hold up your hand. Don't be shy. They'll get you one of those this morning. If you're a first-time guest, we want to welcome you to Orchard Church. We are thrilled to have you with us worshiping, studying God's Word today. Inside of your newsletter, there's a connection card. If you just give us a little bit of information about yourself, tear that off, drop in the offering bucket when we receive our gifts at the end of service. We'd really appreciate that. We're not going to bug you, show up on your door or anything like that. We're just going to send you a little thank you note in the mail and a free gift from our church. And uh, can we just welcome all of our guests this morning, church? Just welcome all of our our first-time guests today. Well, we are uh, just about three weeks into our, our series for the summer called Beginnings, Stories, in Genesis. If you've missed any of these, because I know a lot of people are coming and going with vacations, uh, be sure to go to our website, orchardchurch.tv, like television, uh, and you can go watch any of those previous messages and catch up. And so today, we continue part two, Trouble in Paradise. And you know, we've been talking a lot about Adam and Eve and watching their story and what happened in the garden. And you know, there's, there's a story, there's a myth that a lot of people... People, you know, haven't heard about Adam and Eve that before God made Eve, the woman that we know about in Genesis, that God brought this other woman to Adam first. And he brought her and he said, now th- this is who I'm thinking about to be your wife for you, Adam. And I mean, this, this woman was just unbelievably beautiful. I mean, just drop dead gorgeous. You know, on a scale of one to 10, she was like, you know, a 20. And Adam's like, wow, that's great. He's like, but what's that going to cost me? And God said, well, that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And he said, well, what can I get for a rib? (laughs) If you like that joke, that's mine. If you didn't, that's our worship director, Gary, gave me that joke this week. And I'm going to blame him, all right? Well, as we start into uh, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 2, you know, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, everything is perfect. You know, they got this great marriage, this great relationship with each other, this great relationship with God. Everything is wonderful. You turn the page, you get to chapter 3, and then the bottom falls out. We have trouble in paradise. And I said this last week, if you've ever wondered why life sometimes is unfair, if you've ever wondered why there's sickness and disease and stress and, and death, It all starts in Genesis chapter 3. It answers those questions because of a choice that Adam and Eve made. It all begins there. And what we're watching in chapter 3, we're actually going verse by verse through this chapter. And in this chapter, we see this progression of events take place. And I hope you have your notes this morning because I'm going to just quickly review what we talked about last week. And you can fill in your blanks again and then bring you up to where we're at in chapter 3 uh, this week. We saw this progression of events. And what we first saw was a strategy. We saw the strategy in Genesis 3 verse 1 through 5 as this evil, wicked person named Satan uh, comes inside of this serpent-type beast. This many believe it was a, a dragon or some kind of like lizard, and then he turned into a snake. I'll show you where he turns into a snake today, and why I believe he wasn't first a snake, but he became that. And he, he had this strategy. He was going to disguise himself. You have that in your notes. His first strategy was to disguise himself in verse one in the form of a serpent, so he can fool and deceive Adam and Eve. And what is the the next strategy? He questions God's word. Satan disguises himself, then he questions God's word, and he says, "You know, I know what God said, but he, did he?" Really really say that? Did he really mean that? Did he really mean that if you eat of this tree, you're going to surely die? And, and he starts questioning God's word. He starts twisting the scriptures out of context. He starts uh, questioning not only God's word, but God's goodness. And he basically is saying to Adam and Eve, God's holding out on you guys. 
He knows if you eat of this tree, man, you're going to be like God. You're going to be like him. And he's holding you back. And so he questions, and then what does he do? He comes right out, and you have this, you know, he denies God's word. And he says, I know God said the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely what, church? You'll surely die. I know that's what God said, but I'm telling you, you will not surely die. And he flat out lies, and he contradicts the word of God and denies God's word. And then we move from the strategy of Satan to the tragedy. Adam and Eve had a choice to make. In verse 6, the tragedy takes place. They disobey God. They take, they eat of the fruit. We see a role reversal in the marriage. You know, Eve eats fruit uh, first, and then she gives it to her husband, Adam. She's taking over the leadership spiritual role that God intended for Adam. Adam is sitting there like like a bump on a log. He's doing nothing to stop this. Then they realize they've sinned. They disobey God. And for the first time, they realize they were what? They were naked. See, I'm going to have you guys say that word too because I say it a lot, all right? So they were, they were naked. They were ashamed at this point. They felt incredible guilt and, and remorse. And, and they were afraid and they were ashamed. And what they do, they start trying to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. And they thought, well, we'll be clothes designers. And so they, you know, they made those Tommy Hilfigers. Remember last week we had some fun with that? And so they tried to cover their sin themselves. And we're going to see today what God thinks about their designs. And then we move from the tragedy to the discovery as we moved into verse 9 and God discovers what they've done and, and he asked that question to Adam do you remember this church help me out he says to Adam where are you Adam and, and he wasn't because he didn't know it wasn't because they were good at hiding from God he wanted to know where are you spiritually what have you done and remember Adam started making all kinds of excuses first he blames the woman and then he blames God who gave him the woman and then Eve blames the serpent and the blame game begins and sin has happened. And now today it brings us up to the penalty. God has something to say about this, the decision they've made. And he has some penalties because he said there would be consequences and penalties if they chose to sin and disobey God. So we pick it up today. It's number four in your outline with the, the penalty. And we pick it up where we left off last week in verse 14. And it says, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Most scholars believe that in verse 14 he first gives a penalty to the serpent. Uh, that creature that allowed Satan to come inside of him and take over him to deceive Eve. And he says this is where he goes I believe from a, a lizard or a dragon type creature to a snake. Because he says now you're going to crawl on your belly. And you're going to eat the dust. In other words, before that, you were able to walk on legs. If you've ever heard the phrase, bite the dust, you know, Queen had a song. Another one, bites the dust. This is where it comes from. It comes from this verse where Satan and the serpent, now the penalty is he's got to be like a snake. He's got to eat the dust the rest of his life. And then in verse 15, he specifically turns the penalty towards Satan toward the devil himself for what he's done to deceive Adam and Eve. And in verse 15, it's, God says, And I, God, will put enmity. Everybody say enmity. enmity. Okay, some of you are like, what's enmity? I'll describe this in just a second. I'll define it. God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve. And between your seed or your offspring 
and her seed, and how many of y'all notice in your Bibles it's capital S-E-E-D? It should be that way. This is a title for somebody, this, this specific seed. It's not just any seed. It's not just any offspring of the woman. It's not just any descendant. It's a, it's a specific title called the seed. We'll, we'll find out who that is in just a moment. And he, this seed of the woman, capital H-E, shall bruise your head. Satan, the devil, he's going to bruise your head and you're going to bruise his, what? His heel. And y'all totally know what that verse is all talking about, right? Some of you, yes. Most of you, how many of y'all say, I'm a little confused, okay? L let me explain. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is one of the most pivotal and crucial and important verses in all of Scripture. Theologians call it the Proto-Evangelium. You don't need to know that word. I'm just going to tell you what it means. It means proto. When you think of a prototype, you think it's the first of something. Evangelium, evangelism. Proto-evangelium means it's the first time you see the gospel proclaimed in the Bible. The first promise of the Messiah, the first promise of a Savior and Jesus to come and redemption and salvation is right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, the gospel right here is given by who? God himself. You go to the end of the Bible in Revelation, when we study that book in Revelation chapter 14, the last gospel is going to be given by an angel that will be flying throughout the earth and proclaiming the gospel, you know, during the, the tribulation time. But today, between Genesis 3.15 and then the last days and the angel, you know who's supposed to proclaim the gospel today? We are. We are. But God gives this first gospel. Let, here's how we know it's the gospel. Because he says, God says to the serpent, to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This word enmity comes from the Hebrew eba. It means hostility. It means division, conflict, war. And this is where the stream of time divides from this point forward. See, church, whether we realize it or not, we are, are all born in the middle of a spiritual battle that is raging and warring around us every day. It's the battle between Satan and his family and God and his family. If you know what I'm talking about, say yes. And we're in the middle of this. Now, you say, okay, well, who is in Satan's family? Well, we know that it's Satan, and we know it's certainly his demons, the fallen angels we talked about last week, but it's also all those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's not my word. That's not my opinion. That's what Jesus himself said. He was speaking in John chapter 8, verse 44, to a group of unbelievers. Jesus was. And here's what he said. You are of your father, the what, church? The devil. And he's speaking to human beings. He says, your father is the devil. You're in his family. And the desires of your father, you want to do. You see, a lot of times people say God, have you ever heard people say God is our father? God is everybody's father. God is not everyone's father. God is everyone's creator, amen? But he's not everyone's father. The only way the God of this universe becomes your father is when you become his child, when you put your faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. We know, and then everyone that's not a believer, this is why it's so important that we share the gospel with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our family members that don't know Christ. Because you may not have realized it before, they may not realize it, but until you come to faith in Christ, you are in a spiritual family that is not of God. It is of Satan. It is of the wicked one. 
We know this because also, not because, only because Jesus said it, but in the next chapter, Adam and Eve go on and they have children. Do you remember two of their sons' names, their first two children? Cain and what? Abel. One of them was right with God and was part of God's family. One of them was not right with God and was not part of God's family. One of them, God accepted his offering. One of them, God rejected his offering. One of them killed and murdered his brother. Who was it? It was Cain. Cain murdered and killed his brother Abel. And listen to what 1 John 3.12 says about Cain. What family he was part of. Cain who was of the wicked one. Y'all know who the wicked one is, right? It's the devil. He who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers, Abel's, were righteous. One of them was part of God's family. One of them was part of the devil's family. So there's this war between these two families. So we've, we've answered the question, who's part of the devil's family? So let's answer the, the good news. Who is part of God's family? Well, we certainly know the angels are. But also all those who are believers in Jesus Christ. All those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are now part of God's spiritual family. If you're in that family, say yes. If you're thankful you're in that family, say yes. That's the other family. You say, well, how do you get into that family? You get into God's family the same way you got into your family. How'd you get into your family? You were born. You had a physical birth that puts you in your earthly family. You must have a spiritual birth that puts you into your spiritual family, God's family. Listen to what John 1.12 said. Jesus said this, but as many, that includes anyone who's willing to accept God's invitation to be in his family. But as many as received him, the him is Jesus, to them he gave the right to become what, church? Say it. Children of God. Which means before that, we were not children of God. But when we receive Jesus, we become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Not just about his name. There's a lot of people that believe about Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. If you want to be part of God's family, this takes two things. Receive and believe. Receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and believe in him and what he did on the cross to pay for your sins. By faith you accept that, you get to be part of God's family. And God is saying right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he's setting the stage for the rest of human history. There's going to be a conflict between God and the angels and his followers and Satan, the demons, and his followers. And the question, the most probably important question we could ask this morning is which side are you on? Which family are you in? I hope before you leave here today, every one of you will have made the decision personally to say, I want to be a part of God's family. I want to be on his side. And let me tell you one of the benefits of being in God's family, being on his side. I've read the end of this book, God's family wins. God's family wins in the end. You, you, you know, we're all excited about the Broncos because we know they're going to win a lot. We're hoping they're going to win the Super Bowl, amen? And we're glad we're on that side. We like winners, you know? We like winners. And if you want to be a winner... Get in God's family. Get on God's team. Because Satan will be defeated. His enemies, the enemy of God will be defeated and his followers. He says it right here in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Notice the end of this verse. He, Jesus, shall bruise your head, Satan. And you're going to bruise his heel. Now, a, a bruise to the heel will hurt, but it will not be deadly. But a blow to the head can kill you. 
And we know that Satan brought a blow upon Jesus when he was crucified on the cross, but it was not a blow that killed him forever because he rose again. But we know that there is going to be a blow to the head of Satan at the end of time, and we're going to talk about this at the end of the message, where he will once and forever be defeated for all time, never to be heard from or seen again. And that is what Genesis 3.15 is saying. That's how this conflict is going to end. Now, how, how do we know that this verse is talking about Jesus? I told you when we started Genesis, Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. It's everywhere in the first couple of chapters if you know what to look for. How do we know that this is talking about Jesus? It has to do with the seed of the woman. Hopefully, your Bibles have it capital S-E-E-D. If they don't, it should. It's a title in the Hebrew. The seed of the woman is the one that's going to defeat Satan. And we believe that is Jesus. Here's why. Because notice he says it's the seed of the who church? Of the woman. It's not the seed of a man. Now normally when a child is born, it comes from the seed not of the woman, but the seed is placed in the woman by the man. But there's going to be a woman that comes along at some point in time and the, she's going to have a child. It's not going to be conceived of the seed of the man. It's going to be of the seed of the woman. It's going to happen miraculously through the Holy Spirit. Is this starting to make sense? And he says that seed is going to be the seed that is going to defeat Satan. That is going to be the seed that is going to bring victory and salvation and redemption for all mankind. The seed of the woman through that virgin birth. And so we're not, we don't have to guess at this and we don't have to wonder. Paul does us a big favor. And he makes this as clear as he can to tell us who this seed is in Galatians chapter 3 verse 16. Listen to this. He says, now to Abraham and his seed, capital S-E-E-D, were the promises made. What promises? That through Abraham and the nation of Israel, the promised Messiah and Savior of the world would come. And he does not say, and to seeds multiple seeds he does not say seeds as of many but as of what church one there's one seed that's going to save all mankind and to your seed who is Christ there it is right there the seed of the woman that is talked about in Galatians is the promise of the Messiah Jesus Christ and you gotta love this church in the midst of this trouble in paradise where Adam and Eve have blown it, they've disobeyed God, they've plunged all mankind into sin and separation from God, God steps in and he says, I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to make everything right. And he promises a Messiah who will defeat Satan and through him we can have eternal life. This is one of the most important verses in your Bible. And it's born out of this penalty to Satan and the serpent and his ultimate defeat. Then we not only see a penalty for the serpent, but we see a penalty for the woman, Eve, who sinned. And Galatians 3.16, it says, And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Is this true, ladies? You can blame Eve someday. You can, there's going to be a line. I can just see it in heaven wanting to smack her, you know. This, this, is, this curse, this, this penalty... Of the woman's sin is still very much in effect today. I heard Bill Cosby one time. He said, you know, the best way that a man can kind of understand a little bit of what a woman goes through during childbirth is to take out your bottom lip and pull it over your head. <laughs> and all you ladies are like, that's right, preach it. But, but there's more to this penalty than just pain in childbirth. That, that's what we all, that's what most people know. The penalty of Eve's sin was pain in childbirth. Because they don't read the rest of the verse. 
They don't read the rest of what God said. And he goes on inside of the same verse, in the same penalty of the woman. He says, here's another part of your penalty, ladies. Your desire shall be for your who, church? Husband. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now at first read, this sounds like a really cool thing for the men. Your woman is going to desire you. You know, it's like, oh, that sounds, that sounds nice. That doesn't seem like a penalty that you would have a wife that would desire you. And, and maybe even for the ladies, this, this sounds kind of like a good thing. You know, that your wife is going to have a desire for her husband. Until you understand what the definition of this Hebrew word desire means. And the best way to understand what this word desire means is the same Hebrew word is used in the very next chapter. But it applies to Cain. The one that was of that wicked one. The one who killed his brother. And, and just look at chapter 4 verse 7 with me. And God says this to Cain. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, what lies at your door? Sin lies at your door. Now watch this. And, and its desire, sin's desire is for you. And what does it desire? That it should rule over you or that you, sh or that you should rule over it but it's going to have a desire to rule over you how many of y'all would agree that we struggle with that every day that sin has a desire to rule over us that's the same word desire that God uses in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 when he says here's part of the penalty ladies you're going to have this desire for your husband but it's not an intimate sexual loving type of a desire it's a desire to rule over him it's a desire to control him it's a desire to take the lead that was intended for Adam to be the loving spiritual leader not a, a lord or a boss or a master but a loving leader you're gonna desire just like Eve to go to the tree and grab the fruit and lead your husband that's what this is saying and he and God is saying ladies are gonna struggle with this just like Eve struggled with it to re reverse the roles in marriage. And we see it all the time. And this is the first battle of the sexes. And, it's, and God calls it right here. And boy, is it getting quiet in here. <laughs> and just so you don't think I'm making this up, another translation who studied out this Hebrew word in the New Living Translation, Genesis 3.16, is translated this way. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. This is, this is part of the curse. This is part of the penalty of the woman's sin that's passed on to every lady. There, there was a lady several years ago that studied out this passage. Her name was Susan Foe. And she wrote a book called A Woman's Desire based upon this passage in this chapter. And here's what a woman said. As a result of the fall, man no longer rules easily. He must fight from his headship. Sin has corrupted both the willing submission of the wife and the loving headship of the husband. The woman's desire is to control her husband, to usurp his divinely appointed headship, and he must master her if he can. So the rule of love founded in paradise is replaced by struggle, tyranny, and domination. I'm just glad a woman said that. <laughs> and I wasn't quoting a man this morning. And, and, and if we're honest, ladies, I mean, we can have some fun with this, but it's true. I mean, God calls it right here. 
I've counseled so many married couples and this is the very problem they're dealing with. And I'm not just trying to blame all the ladies. You have a man who's not being the loving spiritual leader and taking that role and you have a woman who's dominating and domineering and, and, and wanting to rule and control her husband. And ladies, you come by it naturally. You were born with this ability. You, you start to practice it when you're a little girl on your daddy. You know just what to say. Just how to say it. Shelly's always saying, you know, you are much tougher on Caleb than Caitlin. I'm like, I know. She was good at it. You know, you, you start and you practice. To, you learn how to control and get your way with your daddy. And then you move on to a junior high boyfriend. You play him like a fiddle. You get really good at it. It's all internship for marriage. You're working that out, man. You're practicing. You're getting good. And, and, and ladies do this differently. They, they, take, they, bring, they take on different tactics uh, how to control their man and get what they want and get their way. And, and many of them, what they do is they, they, they start out with the, the finger. You all know what I'm talking about. Men, when this finger comes out, you just, it's done. You're done. You know, and, they, and what do they do? They, they nag. And they yell. They get really loud. I mean, they nag. I mean, have you ever seen two guys nag each other? No. Because somebody would die. But ladies, they get good at it. They nag. And they yell. And they do it. And when that doesn't work to control their husband, what do they do next? You hurt my... Feelings. What does the guy do? Okay, I'm sorry. We'll do what you want. She's like, okay, good, fine. <laughs> and now here's what some ladies do. What some ladies do to control their husbands is they just marry a dumb one. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? They do. And they're like, if I marry that guy, I'll always get my way. Because I'm smarter than him. Some of you guys are like, is that me? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. Now, here's the deal. I have picked on the men profusely the last couple of weeks. Right, men? I have picked on you guys. And when I, and I'm talking about being the loving, spiritual leader of your home and in the right context, in the right way, and not being a chauvinist about it and not being a boss about it, but lovingly and having your wife by your side. And I have picked on you guys for two weeks about taking that role. And while I was doing that, you ladies are like, preach it, Pastor Doc. You go. That's right. Preach it, preach it. You tell them. Let them have it. Let them have it. You loved it. But we're equal opportunity offenders here at Orchard Church. <laughs> I had a guy last night. We were, and thank you to everyone that helped with the reunion celebration. Uh, you guys did a great job. There were thousands of people that came out in our community. And we passed out balloons and hot dogs. And I had one of the men come up to me last night. And he was so excited. And he goes, you're going to let the ladies have it tomorrow, aren't you? <laughs> I'm like, maybe a little bit. Don't get so excited, you know. And he was looking forward to it. Here's the deal, in all seriousness, and, I, and I'm serious when I say this, after counseling hundreds of married couples and being in my own marriage for 20 plus years, a wife who dominates and controls her husband does not find him attractive or respectful. You show me a woman that can dominate and control her way all the time with her husband, I'll show you a woman that does not respect her husband and does not find him attractive. And I'll also show you a woman that's very unhappy.
I see it all the time. This is a big deal. And, and let me say this to the single ladies that are here today. Marry a man you respect, not one you can control. Because you will not respect him. You will not find him attractive. Even though you may like it now, you will hate it later. Because it's not what God designed. I had a, I had a lady several months ago, and uh, she'd been seeing this man for many years. I think they'd been together about 10 years. But they hadn't gotten married. And she was trying to decide, should I marry him or not? He wants me to marry him. Should I marry him or not? And I said, first question I said was, well, do you love him? And she said, oh, yeah, of course I love him. I said, okay. I said, do you respect him? And without hesitation, she goes, no, absolutely not. I said, then you better not marry him. That, that's recipe for disaster in marriage. When the man doesn't love his wife like Christ loved the church, and when the wife doesn't respect the leadership of her husband. You better respect him. And, and this, is, this is part of the penalty. So we've seen the penalty for the serpent. We've seen the penalty for the woman. Now we see the penalty for the man. In verse 17 through 19. Sorry, ladies. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, because you let her lead, and you followed her lead, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. R remember we saw this a couple of weeks ago that work was given to man before he sinned. Work is not the curse. But hard work, difficult work is part of the curse. He said now you're going to work, it's going to be toil. Verse 18, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you the ground, weeds, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And the Bible tells us in a few later chapters that Adam died at the age of 930 years old. Just like God said, the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And because he was meant to live and eat the tree of life forever. And he disobeyed God. And, and the penalty for the man is that work would be too hard. Let me ask you men. How many of you men would say you have a hard job? A difficult, hard, hard job. You know, that's why people pay you. Because it's work. I mean, if, if it was easy, they wouldn't have to pay people. They'd do it for nothing. I mean, this is part of the curse. The toil of providing for your family. I mean, to find a good paying job, to make the house payment, to put food on the table, to put clothes on your kids, to send them to school, to pay your bills, to send kids to college, to have a wedding, you know, all that stuff. It's hard, man. It's difficult, and it's part of the penalty of sin that was passed on from Adam. You know, you, you see this in your yard, you know? Man, I'm working so hard to keep my lawn green and growing right now with all this heat you know and our house faces the north and so it's great in the winter because it melts our driveway but it's horrible in the summer you know and I like to have a nice green lawn and I keep working on it man and I fertilize it and I cut it and I water it and I do all this and I mean just to try to keep it nice and green I look over my rock bed and there's you know weeds three feet tall I haven't watered and done anything and they're popping up everywhere I can grow weeds I can't grow grass but not weed weeds okay <laughs> Pastor said he grows weed. Yeah, this is Colorado. Um, so, you know, it's easy to grow weeds. It's hard to have a nice lot. It's part of the curse. It's part of the curse. And these are all penalties of the curse. Penalties for the serpent, penalties for the woman, penalties for the man. 
So we've seen the, the strategy of Satan. We've seen the tragedy of Adam and Eve's sin. We've seen the discovery of their sin by God. We've seen the penalty for the serpent, the woman, and the man. Are you all ready for some good news? We're going to close with some good news. The recovery. The recovery that God has. Beginning in verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name, say it church, Eve. Everybody say Eve. Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. This lets us know right here that Adam believed the gospel that was presented in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The promised Messiah to come through the seed of the woman. This is where scholars and myself believe that Adam and Eve truly were believers and will be in heaven someday. Because Adam believed what God said and up until this point it was just honey, sweetie, sugar pie, he didn't have a name. It was just his wife. But now she's given a name after God had promised the gospel and he calls her Eve. The, the name Eve means life giver. Giver of life. You see, Adam believed God's promise in Genesis 3.15 that a descendant, a daughter of Eve, at some point would give birth to the giver of life. Life was taken in the garden by sin, but life will be given back eternal life through the seed of a woman, a descendant of the daughter of Eve. If that makes sense, say yes. And he believed that. And that's why he changed your name to life giver, giver of life. There's incredible hope in what Adam said and how he named Eve there, his wife Eve. And then verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics or coats of what? Of skin and clothed them. Now what were they clothed in before this? Fig leaves. They had tried to make their own designs to cover their guilt and their shame of their sin. And it said they, they made for themselves these coverings to try to cover their guilt and sin. God comes along and he says, what you've done for yourself is not acceptable. I'm going to do something for you you cannot do for yourself. And he makes tunics of skin. Now where does skin come from? It comes from an animal. And most believe that this was the first animal sacrifice in the Bible where God took an innocent animal and he killed it. It shed its blood so he could cover the sin and the nakedness of Adam and Eve. He did not accept what they tried to do for themselves to cover their sin and guilt. He did it for them through the shedding of the blood of an innocent animal. I think it was probably a lamb. That's my guess. And it lets us know right here in the beginning of the Bible what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says. For by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. If you want to try to cover your guilt and your shame and your sin yourself, God will never accept that. He has to do it for you. Amen? God made these tunics of skin, the first animal sacrifice. An innocent animal had to die so Adam and Eve could be back in right fellowship with God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? He, he, he lays this foundation and pattern for the Messiah to come. And then in verse 22 through 24, the final part of this chapter in this recovery, it says, Then the Lord God said, <coughs> Excuse me. Behold, the man has become like one of us, there's the Trinity again, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take and also eat of the tree of what? Tree of life. Because remember there were two trees. There's a tree of life. They were intended to eat and live forever. And there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that if they ate of they would die. One represented life. One represented death. They ate of the tree of the death and disobeyed God. And he says now lest he put out his hand and take again of the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground. He sent him out into the wilderness, out of the garden from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim, these angelic beings, at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of what? Tree of life. And the tree of life goes off the scene in Genesis. I believe it's taken up into heaven and you don't see it again until the end of the Bible which we'll talk about in just a moment. Now, it may seem that God is being mean when he drove Adam and Eve out of the garden into the wilderness and said, you can't eat of the tree of life anymore. But really, this was an incredibly gracious, merciful act that God did for them. Because God knew they are now sinners. They have sinned. They have disobeyed me. And if they continue to stay in the garden, they will continue to eat of the tree of life, and they will live forever. But here's the problem. Now they'll live forever in a fallen world, in their sinful state, facing the consequences of their sin every day, forever, and all eternity. And the gracious, merciful, loving God said, I would rather allow them to die and go back to the ground so I can send a Savior and I can resurrect their body someday, give them a new body, and then they can live in all eternity without sin with me. That's what a gracious, loving God did for them. And that's what a gracious and loving God does for all of us. I want you guys to close your Bibles, put your notes away for a second, and I want you just to listen. I'll give you a second to do that. And I just want you to listen to what I have to share as we wrap up Genesis chapter 3. I want to just kind of summarize all of this for you this morning. I want to kind of give you a panoramic view of the Bible from beginning to end in just a couple of minutes. And I just want you to listen to this. I just want to put it in a nutshell for you. You see, God made our first parents, Adam and Eve. They were perfect and without sin, and he placed them in the garden. They had fellowship with each other and fellowship with God, and everything was perfect. But he gave them a choice. He said, you can continue just to eat of the tree of life and live forever in a perfect paradise, or you can choose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the day you do, you'll surely die. It'll break fellowship with each of you. It'll break fellowship with me, and there will be consequences. They chose to disobey God. They sinned. And because of that sin, sin entered the human race. And like a disease, that sin has been passed upon every human being since the day Adam and Eve sinned. That is why the Bible says we are born with a sin nature. We're all infected by this disease called sin. That's why little kids, little children, parents, you know this, you don't have to teach them to be dishonest. You don't have to teach them to not share. They come by it honestly because of their sin nature. And because of their sin and because of our sin, what did God say? That the day you disobey me, you'll surely die. Romans 6.23 says the wages, the payment of sin is death. It's death. And just like they were deceived, Adam and Eve, thinking now that we've sinned and we've, we have shame and we have guilt and we have fear, we're going to try to fix this ourselves. And they tried to cover their sin with fig leaves. And, and when we today try to cover our sin and our guilt and our shame and we put on fig leaves of goodness and works and church and religion, all these things, and yet God says, your righteousness, you're trying to be right before me is like filthy rags and I will not accept it. I wouldn't accept it with Adam and Eve and I won't accept it today. And like Adam and Eve, we can't blame anyone but ourselves for the choices we make. Adam and Eve chose death over life. They chose Satan over God. They chose folly over wisdom. They chose to eat of a tree that God told them not to eat of. Now here's the good news. God came looking for them when they screwed up. 
And God comes looking for us when we mess up. And like Adam and Eve, they, 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 they were waiting and God came and he came looking for them. And he comes looking for us. And one starry night in a little town called Bethlehem, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the Proto-Evangelium was fulfilled. Because there was a virgin named Mary who had never known a man sexually. And she conceived a child, not of the seed of the man, but of the seed of the woman, born of the Holy Spirit. And when he came that night and he was laid into a manger and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, we know the angels told us his, one of his names of many was called Emmanuel, God with us. Just like God came looking for Adam and Eve, he came looking for us. He came in the form of a man named Jesus Christ. And he came to save us. He came to save us from what we had messed up just like Adam and Eve. He came to save us from Satan, sin, and death. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. For since by man came death, and that man would be who, church? Adam. By man also came the resurrection of the dead, and that man's name is Jesus. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's why he named his wife's name Eve, because she, one of her daughters would give birth to the giver of life. His name was Jesus. And there's this incredible comparison of contrast throughout the Bible between the first Adam and the last Adam, whose name is what, church? His name is Jesus. Listen to the comparison of contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam, Jesus. The first Adam failed. The last Adam succeeded. The first Adam sinned and he was kicked out of the garden and he was placed into the wilderness. The last Adam starts his ministry in the wilderness, his earthly ministry. He went out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He picks up the salvation story right where Adam left off in Genesis in the wilderness and he begins his earthly ministry to save us. The first Adam was tempted by Satan. The last Adam was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. The first Adam was tempted three times. The last Adam was tempted three times. The first Adam was tempted with the lust of the flesh, the, the fruit, it's good for food. The last Adam was tempted by the lust of the flesh to turn the stones into bread for food because he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. The, the first Adam was tempted with the fruit that said it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, it looked good to the eyes. The last Adam was tempted with the lust of the eyes because remember Satan tempted him and said, look at all the kings of the, of the world. Do you see them? If you worship and bow down before me, I'll give them all to you. The first Adam was tempted with the pride of life. He said, you know, if I eat of this fruit, it'll make me wise and like God. The last Adam was tempted with pride because Satan took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and he said, you're God, aren't you? Throw yourself off, your angels will catch you. The first Adam listened to the serpent's lies. He listened, listened to him twist the word of God, change the word of God, question the word of God, misquote the word of God. And the first Adam did nothing. But the last Adam heard the serpent, misquote the scripture, and then he three times quoted the scriptures back to him exactly as they were said. And Jesus said to Satan, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The first Adam did not fight the dragon. The last Adam runs him through with a sword of the word of God three times. He defeats him in that moment and he flees from him. But that wasn't the end of the temptations of Satan because we know that Satan continued to try to tempt Jesus as a man throughout his life. Hebrews 4.15 says Jesus was in all points tempted like we are, yet here's the difference between the last Adam and the first Adam. He was without sin. 
The first Adam killed himself when he chose to take of the tree and sin. The last Adam knew that Jesus wouldn't kill himself, and so he devised a plan to have others help him kill the last Adam, Jesus. The first Adam, Satan entered a serpent. The last Adam, Satan entered a man. And his name was Judas. And he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He turned him over to the Roman people and the Jews who wanted him to be killed and crucified, even though he was innocent and he had done nothing wrong. The first Adam, Satan was victorious in getting him to eat of the fruit and die. The last Adam, it appeared that Satan had won again. Because Jesus was arrested, he was falsely tried, a crown of thorns was placed upon his head, a robe was put on him, he was beaten, he was scourged, he was mocked, he was spat upon, he was put upon an old rugged cross and he was nailed, hands and his feet there. And to make sure that he was dead, a spear was ran through his side to pierce his heart where blood and water flowed out. And it appeared that God had, had lost, it appeared that Satan had victory on the last Adam, just like he did on the first Adam, but what he didn't realize was in that very act he was paying the penalty for our sins you see the first Adam paid the penalty for his own sins and he had to die but the last Adam paid the penalty for our sins 2nd Corinthians 5 21 says he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made right with God and on the cross he said it is finished it is paid for what the first Adam couldn't do I am doing for you but there's more to it. The first Adam was buried in the ground. He went back to the dust of the ground. And the last Adam was buried in the ground, but only for three days. Because on the third day, the last Adam was victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And he rose from the dead. He was on the earth for a while and seen by over 400 people. And then he ascended back into heaven to be with his father, where he's seated on the right hand of God, making intercession and prayers for us. He's our mediator between God and man. The first Adam... God came looking for him when he had messed up. Here's the great news, church. The second Adam, the last Adam, is coming back looking for us. And he's going to come back in an event. Yeah, he's coming back in an event. It's called the rapture of the church. And he's going to come back looking. He's going to take us to heaven. There's going to be seven years of tribulation on this earth. And then when it looks like Satan is going to defeat God's people, the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ himself is going to come riding on a white horse. He's going to kick some butt. And he is going to defeat Satan. He's going to then lock him into an abyss, the bottomless pit, for a thousand years. Jesus will rule and reign, the last Adam, for a thousand years. Those who know him will rule and reign with him. And then Satan gets one last opportunity to win at the the end of that thousand years and then God takes Satan and he throws him into the lake of fire once and for all oh yes the the Satan bruised the heel of Jesus when he crucified him but that last Adam Jesus is going to defeat and bruise when his heel comes down on the head of the serpent once and for all as he is sent to the lake of fire forever now here's the good news for us just like the last Adam was banished from paradise, never able to eat the tree of life again, in Revelation chapter 21, it says, for those who are, are followers of Jesus Christ, those who are believers and children of God, Revelation 21 says one day there's going to be a new heaven, there's going to be a new earth, and it says the gates of heaven, unlike what happened to Adam in the garden where the gates were sealed and a flaming sword and angels were there to protect it, the gates will never be shut for God's children. And we will walk into that city, and in the middle of the street of that city, guess what shows up? The tree of life for us to eat of for all eternity. We get to enjoy love, life, joy, eternity with God forever in His kingdom. Jesus. Yes. 
that, that is the story of the Bible. That's the story of which family do you want to be in? Jesus, the last Adam, takes us from trouble in paradise to together in paradise. And these are the questions you need to ask yourself. Which tree will you eat from for all eternity? Which tree do you plan to eat from? Which Adam are you counting on? Man? The first Adam? Or the last Adam, Jesus? Which family are you in? And just like God came looking for Adam and Eve, he comes looking for us, and maybe he's looking for some of you today. Maybe today's the day where he finds you and you find him. Would you bow your heads this morning? Your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not in God's family. You're not. And you won't spend eternity with God. You won't get to eat of the tree of life. But God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to pay the penalty of your sin. And all you have to do is accept what he did for you. You can't cover it yourself with fig leaves. You have to accept the sacrifice of Jesus. And when you do, when you receive and believe in Jesus, you have the right to become a child of God and spend eternity in paradise forever with him and his followers and eat of the tree of life we will get to experience the garden like Adam and Eve did before they sinned. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't know that I've ever thought of it that way. I don't know if I've ever made a personal faith decision to receive and believe in Jesus, but I'm ready to. I'm ready to. I mean, I, I'm convinced by the word of God and what you've said this morning that there's only one or two places to spend eternity. There's one of only two families to be in, and I want to be in God's. And if you, you say, I, I, before I came in today, if somebody would ask me which family are, are you in, I don't even know if I would have known how to answer. But you can know how to answer when you leave. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would say today, you know what, I know it's time to invite Jesus into my life. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith. The way you receive Jesus is just by asking him. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray from your heart to God's. Now listen, it's not the words you say, it's not the magic prayer, it's the faith in your heart that you know is real and God knows is real. And if you're ready to invite Jesus into your life, pray this prayer of faith with me, right where you sit. And it goes like this, Jesus, I do believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You shed your blood for my sins. I want to invite you into my life by faith. I want you to be my Lord. I ask you to be my Savior today. I want to be your child. I want to be in your family. And thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for adopting me into your family. Thank you that I get to spend eternity with you forever. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, listen, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time and you really meant it, I'd love to pray for you because you just entered a new relationship that you'll enjoy for all eternity and I want to pray that you'll grow in that personal relationship. Would you just slip up your hand this morning across this auditorium, all across, thank you. Y yes, just lift it up and say, yes, I prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, inviting Jesus into my life. I really meant it. 
I want to make sure I'm in his family. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just slip up your hand and put it down just so I can see it real quick. Nobody else looking around. Lord, I pray for all those putting their faith and trust in you today. I pray they grow in their relationship with you each and every day forward. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, those of you that are here today, many of you, most of you, maybe all of you, that you'd say, I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm in God's family. Let me just ask you this. If you're in God's family and you're God's child, are, are you acting like it? Are you living like it? Which Adam are you living for? You see, the first Adam represents our sinful flesh. The last Adam represents life and being right with God. And I'm sure as believers, we would all say there's times in our life that we listen to the wrong Adam. And I'm not even gonna ask you to raise your hands. I'm just gonna ask you right now. If there's things in your life that you know you need to make right with Jesus Christ as a believer, would you just make those right with him? Ask for his forgiveness. He'll give it to you. Ask him to help you to follow him in light of everything he's done. And every believer here this morning, I hope that you will thank God for the last Adam. You'll thank God that when we screwed up, he came looking for us. Father, thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Thank you that you did not just allow man to sin and disobey you and, and face the consequences for all eternity of separation and death from you. That you sit your son, Jesus Christ. May we live in the light of that truth. May we honor and glorify you. May we tell others about the message of what you've done. And we praise you this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.